always kind of been drawn into the uh, hypnotic trance of a uh, of a fire, uh, whether it's in uh, in the fireplace at our house or uh, in the backyard fire pit or maybe uh, 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 on a camping trip. Uh, fire has unique qualities, right? And and I've always enjoyed the process of building fires. Notice I didn't say setting fires. That's a whole different thing. Please don't call the authorities. That's not what I meant. Uh, but I, I like uh, pulling everything together and, and uh, making... You have to do it right, right? I mean, you, you can't just snap your fingers and you have a fire. You have to have the right materials that will give the right fuel for a fire. Usually you start with things that burn easily. We always used uh, newspaper, and uh, then you slowly add kindling and other smaller things and kind of get bigger and bigger until you got logs on there and the fire is finally established, and then it seems like it'll just burn forever. You keep putting logs on, it'll burn forever. Of course, all of that starts with a spark, Right? You can have all of that, all the fuel in the world, but if there's no spark, it won't burn. You can stack papers and twigs and sticks and, and logs, and, and, uh, but, but you can't just will it to burn. Look at it long enough and, and hope. Dousing it with lighter fluid or gasoline won't help. If there's no spark, there's no fire. Of course, the fuel is, is vitally important. If there's no fuel, there's no fire either, but, but, uh, but the, uh, the, the spark is most Important. I guess this is where we might start singing the old campy folk song, right? It only takes a spark. What? No, we're not. We're not going to do that. Sorry. Sorry. Last week is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Was Pentecost Sunday where celebrated when uh, when God uh, gave His Spirit uh, to His followers and the church was born. Uh, in the sermon last week, uh, it was all about the Holy Spirit, who he is, his role in our lives uh, as, as we seek to follow Jesus. And we receive the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in God. And at some point, we need to allow him to fill us or to control us completely as we submit to his leadership in every aspect of our lives. As with, with anything that's kind of hard to understand, uh, it helps to explain it using pictures or metaphors. And since the Holy Spirit seems to be a bit of a mystery, uh, the Bible is actually full of pictures and metaphors to helping us understand a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and how he works. Uh, the, the picture most associated with the Holy Spirit is a dove. In the Gospels, the Spirit uh, took the form of a dove and, as he showed himself to, uh, at, at Jesus' baptism, right? And, and the, the Spirit came in the form of a dove. Uh, we use that picture in our denominational logo. It, uh, it is that the Holy Spirit is, uh, is a vital part, um, and, and the, the dove communicates. Maybe it's the most common picture that we have, uh, uh, demonstrating that, uh, that, that he is with us, that he is peace. Uh, several times in, in Scripture, the Spirit is associated with, uh, with the picture of wind or air, um, also with the, uh, with the with the picture of water, um, in in those pictures, I, I think some of the same things are communicated. Uh, the Spirit gives life, just like air and water give life. Uh, the Spirit refreshes us. Uh, the Spirit provides power. Both of those things can can provide an inordinate amount of power. And and, and so uh, we see and learn a little bit about the Holy Spirit when we see those those metaphors of uh, of air or wind and uh, and water. But the symbol I want to zero in on today, and I think you probably caught it with that video we saw a minute ago, is that uh, is the Holy Spirit uh, as uh, as fire. When the Spirit moves, a fire burns. And I want to spend some time specifically today on what that means. What if if the Spirit is fire? If God is fire, 
what does that mean? Actually, God's uh, presence is symbolized uh, many times in Scripture uh, as, as fire. God was present in the burning bush, right? The bush is burning. Uh, Moses uh, saw this bush that was burning, but it didn't burn up, and it was God's presence, and, and he was standing on holy ground because God was there. Uh, he was in the fire. Uh, also then later on in, in Moses' life, the God, uh, God was, uh, was a pillar of fire by night to, uh, to lead and protect the children of Israel in the wilderness. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist described Jesus to people, saying one time he would, uh, quote, baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And, and then one, uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, as we, uh, we read last week, the Holy Spirit appeared like tongues of fire. I know it's a little weird. Uh, sounds a little uh, off-putting, I guess. I don't know, tongues of fire, not sure what that means. But God and fire are linked So I want us to see what are some of the elements or qualities of fire and how that relates to our spiritual lives as God works. The first first thing is that, that fire consumes. Fire consumes. When we had a a wood burning fireplace uh, at our at our previous house, I was surprised at how much wood we would go through. I, I, it's quite a process to get a fire going in 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 an old house in a wood burning fire. I mean, uh, not just that. I mean, that night I had to crumple up papers and and get the kindling and and get the logs off the back deck and and build the whole thing right before it could ever uh, start. But but it started even before that. We had to make sure that that we had the papers, and so we'd keep our papers and stack them because we were planning ahead for a time we might have. A, and then uh, I'd have to uh, make sure I hang on to. Uh, uh, small sticks or other pieces uh, maybe laying around, maybe uh, woodworking stuff and, and uh, throw that in a bucket and keep that bucket handy so that we had kindling. And then, uh, man, we had trees falling left and right at that house. So we had plenty of logs, but they were all in the, in the back 40 uh, uh, stacked up in the big uh, uh, wood pile. And so every so often I'd have to make sure that we had a pile right outside the back door. So uh, in, the, in the snow and, and all the stuff that, that I could just reach out the back door. So it was quite a process. We had to plan ahead and then then on that night, you know, you got you get your hands dirty because you got to make sure the flu is open and that thing, man, all the soot and all the stuff, right? And then you uh, crumpling up the paper and and um, you know you try to get the kids to do that uh, and and make them get their hands dirty, but that doesn't always work. And then then you got to get the kindling from the bucket and then go outside and get the wood and then finally you sit down and relax, right? You've got a fire, and it seemed like about seven minutes later. It had already burned through the first load of wood and you had to go get more, more wood and it was just amazing how much that fire would consume. And after a few fires, uh, we'd look in there, you know, and, and, uh, and the ashes would just be, all that was left of probably a couple dozen logs is just a pile of ashes. And so we'd open the little trap door and I'd sweep all that down into the little thing in our basement that would hold all that. And I mean, it, it held 75 years worth of fires of, uh, of uh, ashes down there. And, and uh, just, just crazy. Uh, the, the, the fireplace was, uh, uh, was a place where the fire could consume these logs. They were, they were just nothing left. I, um, scripture says that God is a consuming fire. And so we could take that to mean that God consumes us, that he's waiting for us to, to mess up and then, then he flicks us or he, he zaps us and whew, then we're gone because we've messed up and so God consumes us. And, and, uh, and yet, I, I'm, that's, that's not quite, Deuteronomy 4.24 says, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Isaiah 33.14, the sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming 
fire. And there are other passages that emphasize the jealousy and the judgment of God, um, not wanting his people to sin or to follow other gods. And it's all about consuming sin, right? Consuming what is within us that doesn't please God. Seeing the Holy Spirit as a consuming fire helps us to see his attitude towards sin and his desire to destroy it in our lives. He doesn't want to consume us, uh, except he wants to consume our, uh, our selfishness, our pride, our sin, the things that, that would keep us from being more like him. Pastor Jim Cimbala, in his book, Spirit Rising, uh, has been kind of the, the basis of what I've read through in, in uh, uh, preparing some of these messages. So uh, if you haven't read that yet, uh, I encourage you to do it, Spirit Rising, Jim Cimbala. Uh, he talks about the, the consuming and penetrating properties of fire. Here's a, here's a brief quote. If you light a match and set a piece of wood on fire, the fire will penetrate the wood. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He goes beyond the surface appearances to the root of our beings. The spirit doesn't put band-aids on anything. He goes to the core of your problems to provide help. That's the picture of a consuming fire. That's what the author uh, that's why the author of Hebrews tells us in uh, chapter 12, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The Holy Spirit is not to be taken lightly. Uh, He wants to penetrate our hearts. He wants to root out sin when we submit ourselves to him. He consumes us from the inside out. And the thing that happens is actually uh, probably the next blank on your sheet, which is that fire purifies. As he roots that out, uh, fire purifies. Back in days gone by when someone had an injury, many times they would do something called cauterizing. Maybe they still do that today. Uh, they take something hot and they, uh, they actually put it on the wound in order to uh, uh, kind of seal it up. It would, it would not only uh, stop the bleeding, but it would also uh, get rid of infection. Um, and, and so it was, was uh, so hot that it would, would sear that. It would cauterize it. Um, also, uh, back in the day, uh, and even to an extent uh, today, heat, or uh, back in the day it was a flame, they would hold anything they were using for surgery, they would uh, put that in the flame in order to uh, uh, get rid of any impurities or any uh, germs that might be present to sterilize it. Fire has purifying properties. Another way that we see this is in, uh, in the process of uh, precious metals and getting them pure. Uh, from what I understand, uh, in order to get metal in its uh, purest form, like let's say silver, scripture talks a lot about uh, purifying silver, uh, is it, they heat it to the boiling point and anything that's not actual silver floats to the top. They call that the dross and they scoop that off and then everything that's left is, uh, is more pure. And they say that if it's a... a a really, they go through that process several times to get something uh, virtually pure, completely pure. Um, it's a great image when we think about the Spirit's fire that purifies us. Isaiah 125 says, I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. Proverbs 17.10, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, the Lord tests the heart. Psalm 66.10, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. The fire of the Holy Spirit brings purity. It rids us of sin. It makes us more like God. It gets rid of the things that don't look like God in our lives. Isaiah 6, 7 is the uh, image of, uh, of the prophet Isaiah as he saw the, the, the 
the presence of God, and, and he was undone, it says, and he, he knew how sinful he was, and a, a, an angel uh, grabbed a, a live coal, it says, and, and uh, touched it to Isaiah's mouth, and he says, uh, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. The image of fire is an image of purif- purity, purification. We allow God's fire to purify us as he consumes what doesn't look like him. Another picture of fire is that fire softens. Maybe we don't think about this one uh, as much. I can remember uh, family vacations. We'd go camping. Uh, we'd drive all over uh, in our, uh, man, we had our little pop-up trailer with the slide out the sides and, and all that. And just a side note, when you, it's your job to uh, put the little hooky things around, uh, around where you're going to sleep, you need to do that or you'll end up in the wood pile at night because you'll roll right out the side. That's a whole other story. I'll probably tell you that later. But uh, we, we'd travel all around. We'd go to all the campgrounds, all these. And, and, and many times uh, we'd end up, my dad was just a big his, history buff. And so we'd go places that were significant in, uh, in American history. And a lot of times there was some kind of reenactment kind of thing going. I mean, not like Civil War reenactment stuff. I mean, like they'd have a little town set up, right? And they've got the, uh, the, the shop and the, the market. And then there's always a blacksmith shop, right? And you've, you've seen that, maybe you've seen it in person or, or maybe you've uh, seen it on TV or somewhere, but you got the blacksmith and, and, uh, and they were always, they had this fire that was just, oh, just so many, so hot. And they would, uh, they'd be working with a piece of iron and they'd stick it in there and just let it sit. And it would, it would get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And, and then, uh, then they'd pull it and it was just glowing. They'd pull it out and then they could shape it, shape it, right? They could uh, make it into whatever they were making, usually some kind of tool. Uh, usually the uh, blacksmith was, some, was a, a master craftsman, right? It was not just making a, a useful tool, but a beautiful, useful tool. And so because of that fire, what was hardened became soft and pliable and could be molded into something that was beautiful and useful. As I tend to say, I think that'll preach, <laughs> The Holy Spirit's fire gets us to the place where we can be moldable, where we can be shaped into something, someone who is beautiful and useful. He, he softens us to the things of God. He, he gets rid of that hard heart that we might uh, resist him. And, and, uh, and, and in humility, we submit to the master craftsman to do what he will with our lives. The Holy Spirit as fire softens us so fire also there's many many things fire also illuminates it shines right I I mean if you've ever been in the dark you know the thing you need most is a light these days you just pull out your phone and turn on your flashlight app and you got light right it's just just it if you're in a brill hurry you just turn it on and it'll glow and you just hold it up and that's just how it goes I've uh, been saved from stubbing my toe in the middle of the night many times with my little phone and just do that but back in the day before the smartphone and uh, before electricity and all sorts of things uh, fire was the primary source of light right you you'd, you'd have a, a candle or uh, or you'd have a torch or maybe an oil lamp or, or wh- whatever you you fire was something that will illuminate the dark and then the biggest advantage to that uh, the biggest advantage to having a light in the darkness is that it guides your your way right it it helps you to avoid the obstacles that are in your path and to be able to to uh, take steps to uh, uh, to to places that are safe, places that are good, to avoid the the, the things that are, are obstacles or pitfalls that might derail you. The Holy Spirit 
in saying that he is a fire that illuminates uh, actually highlights the fact that the Holy Spirit is our guide. If we let him, he directs our steps, even when things are darkest. Again, uh, Pastor Simbola, uh, he says, thank God for the Holy Spirit's fire, uh, that the Holy Spirit's fire also produces light, something we desperately need in a world full of difficult decisions and hidden dangers. The Spirit illuminates our lives and our choices so that we can see the path ahead and know what to avoid. Yet too often, we don't seek the Holy Spirit's direction when it comes time to making vital decisions. The Holy Spirit's fire illuminates our lives And he guides our steps. Well, there's more. The Holy Spirit as fire also strengthens us or gives us power. Um, They call it tempering, I believe, when you're working with metal. uh, That same blacksmith that would get everything shaped in the right place, then he'd put it in the cold cold water, and all of a sudden it would uh, harden up and stay that way. And it would actually, they say that that's actually stronger than before it was ever in the fire in the first place. If it's, if it's tempered, then it's been hardened or strengthened in the process. Uh, and, and, and so that's one way to think about uh, the, the, the power or the strength that fire can give us. Also, you just think about a fire in general that it just, it is powerful, especially if it starts to get out of control, right? I've been to bonfires where the flames are just blazing and it's just, you can't hardly even get close. It's just uh, so, it's almost out of, you've seen things um, about uh, wildfires that are consuming everything in its path. Usually it takes uh, weeks, sometimes uh, a month or two to contain those fires. Their power is out of control and it's usually unstoppable and anything it's in, path, in its path gets consumed. Fire has power and the Holy Spirit has power. Jesus promised the disciples in Acts 1.9, you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Uh, that was power to witness. The Holy Spirit was giving them power, uh, gives us power to be bold, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus wherever we go. Uh, the early church leaders uh, spoke about uh, this power uh, throughout the, the New Testament. Just a couple of examples, Second Corinthians 10 Uh, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The power of God enables us to live godly lives. It's the Holy Spirit in us that empowers us. Now, it's a funny thing about power. They say that, that power corrupts, and it, it does sometimes. We can get a little self-serving when we have power. In the context of, of this discussion of the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's a question of our motives. Sometimes we can, we can try to just uh, tap into God or to the Holy Spirit uh, primarily to receive the power that he might bring. Kind of like uh, we talked last week, the Holy Spirit is not just this force that, uh, that we can uh, uh, tap into and maybe manipulate the power of God for our own ends. No matter how noble 
That's not the way it works. Uh, Andrew Murray addresses this. Uh, I, I love this, uh, this quote in his little book, The Indwelling Spirit. Again, another good one. You're just looking for something to, to have uh, laying around. Uh, 30, uh, 30 real short chapters all about the Holy Spirit. You can get it read in a month, read a chapter a day. Andrew Murray, The Indwelling Spirit. He says this, we want to get possession of power and use it. God wants to get possession of us and use us. It's not about the power. We're not tapping into God just so we can get this power for ourselves. We're submitting to God and allowing him to fill us and control us. And through that, there is power. The Holy Spirit's fire provides power. Power to live holy lives. Power to overcome sin. Power to witness. Power that will blow our minds. It's his power, not ours. We're just the vessel. We're the fuel. He's the spark. That's the symbol. That's what the symbol of fire shows us. There's, there's one more, and I'm sure there's a thousand more, but there's one more uh, that I want to bring up today, at least one more. Fire warms and cheers. Up to this point, we've talked about uh, the changes. Most of these things are changes that fire makes. It purifies us, it softens us, it strengthens us, it consumes us, changes darkness to light. Uh, All of those are a bit dramatic. Some of them even sound kind of painful, right? Uh, The Holy Spirit is gonna do all this womp, 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 big stuff in our lives, and he will. But with the Holy Spirit, we also have the picture of a warm fire on a cold night or a campfire or a, a, a fire in your fire pit in the backyard. It's a place where you wanna be. It's a place where conversations happen. It's a place where the food gets hot and stories get shared and good times are had. It brings warmth and comfort. And I think that's also a picture of the Holy Spirit. Many times, I haven't counted, but I wanna say more times than others, the Holy Spirit is described as a comforter. He is the comforter. He not only roots out sin and evil and convicts us and purifies us, he also brings supernatural encouragement and comfort and peace. All of those are are, uh, images to help us understand how the Spirit of God works in our lives. Uh, But but there's there's an important factor in all of this that we can't ignore. Uh, You and I have a role to play if the Holy Spirit is going to catch fire within us. Uh, Just like with any fire, we have the ability to either quench it or stoke it. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Uh, Amazingly, this insinuates that you and I actually have the ability to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Who knew you had so much power, right? But you and I can literally hinder the work of the Spirit. It is possible for us to put out the Spirit's fire. That's important so that we can avoid the things that might do that. There are things that we do that stop the Spirit from catching fire in our lives. You, uh, if I think about a fire, uh, just a, a physical fire, you can quench it in a couple of key ways. You can either take away the fuel, uh, you know, you separate the logs and, and all those things. You take away the fuel or you, you cover it up so the oxygen isn't there. Um, or you douse the flames. You throw something on it. You throw water on it that's gonna, gonna uh, quench the fire real quick. In our spiritual life, I think you can do both of those things as well. You can negate his influence by not submitting to his work in your life. You and I are the fuel. If we hold the fuel back, if we say, you can't, you know, you can't have me, at least not all of me, then it's not going to be much of a fire. One way that we quench the Spirit's fire is to, uh, is to 
insist on our own will and not submit to his will, to hold back the fuel of the fire. That stops the spirit from working. You can also douse the flames actively by actively doing things that are contrary to the spirit, right? Uh, you douse the flames uh, quicker than anything when you're, when you're actively stepping into things that, that would uh, be against what the spirit would want. So, so in one sense, you, you pull back from what, what uh, God might want to do in your life, and, and maybe there's just a flicker, but you don't want it to get any bigger, uh, and so you pull the few, or, or you can douse the flames by saying, God, I really don't want to do what you want. I'm going to do this, and I know it's contrary to what you want, but I'm going to douse the Spirit's flames in my life because I'm going to do what I want to do. And we can actively step into sin. And that quenches the Spirit's fire. You have the ability to put out the Spirit's fire. You also have the ability to stoke the Spirit's fire enabling him to burn brightly. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul is, is writing to his protege, Timothy, this, this young preacher who's, who's uh, growing up uh, under Paul's uh, influence. And, and Paul says this in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It, the, the context of that whole passage, it's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, which, is, which was the gift of God that was, that was given to him through the laying on of Paul's hands as he prayed over Timothy. And he tells Timothy to fan that into flame. Many times I have sat around a, a, uh, a campfire or a fire pit and we've got to talking and, and uh, you know, before you know it, you look over and the fire has you know, gone down and there aren't any flames left, just kind of burning coals, right? Just glowing coals, but no flames. But you're not done. Uh, you want to you stay out there for a while. And so you want to you wanna do something to get that fire going again. Well, first off, you're going to put more fuel on it, right? You're going you're gonna to actively uh, put logs on that fire, but then you're also going to provide some air, whether that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, fanning it with something or blowing on it. Now, um, I have learned, may or may not have learned from uh, personal experience that when you breathe in, you need to be facing away from the fire, and then you breathe out when you turn toward the, uh, just, if that's ever, if you ever find yourself there, uh, just some wisdom, just trying to pass along some wisdom, but... um, that, that wind, that fire, that, that moving air going across those glowing embers in combination with the new fuel that's now available uh, fans the fire back into flame. And that's the image that we really need to have etched on our hearts today. You and I are the fuel. Your availability and willingness to let the spirit move in your life sets you ablaze. And, and as you open yourself up to the spirit of God, that flame is, uh, is, is fanned and, uh, and, and explodes in your life. He consumes and purifies the sin in your life. He gives strength and power. He illuminates your way. He warms and cheers. But none of that happens if you withhold yourself, if you withhold your life from God. When, when you do that, you'll just get a flicker at best. Fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit by surrendering yourself to him. You should have one more blank there. I haven't forgotten it. And that is that there is one more very important thing you need to know about fire, and that is that fire spreads. Fire spreads. When you let the Holy Spirit uh, work in your life and he sets you on fire, it's contagious. <laughs> Everyone around you will, uh, will see the blaze. 
Uh, and there is also something about a fire. Usually it attracts people to it as well. And so, so it, it spreads and it's contagious and it's attractive. And, and if you're on fire with the, the Holy Spirit of God, you will have an influence in the lives of the people around you. It will spread. The fire of the Spirit burning within you will give life to those around you. Will you stand with me? Let's bow our heads. And before we pray, I just want you to contemplate a couple of things. Ask yourself this, am I willing to let the Spirit catch me on fire? What is it in my life that is keeping the Holy Spirit from catching me on fire? And am I willing to make that change? Father God, all across this room, you are moving and working. Your Spirit is alive and active. I pray that you would set us on fire. I pray that it wouldn't just be a little flicker, but that it would be a blaze burning brightly for you. And I pray that as we go from here, that we would allow your fire to spread into the lives of those around us. Maybe that's in our family or, or in our uh, extended family, or maybe it's in our relationships at work or our friendships in our community where we live and work. I pray that you would influence those around us as we allow you to fan your spirit into flame in our lives. Father God, do your work. Have your way. We submit ourselves to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.